Hello, my name is Dr. Bertrand Liang and welcome to Patient Stories, episodes about some remarkable people whom I've met through the opportunity of being a physician. I met Mrs. M when I was a medical student in my fourth year. I was doing a sub-internship where we moved from being a neophyte third-year student into more responsibilities of a neophyte fourth-year student, presumably knowing a bit more after completing our initial clinical rotations. It was a first step toward transitioning toward being an intern and then a resident, and part of the process of becoming a full-fledged doctor. Mrs. M had been admitted to the hospital by her attending physician, a caring and expert clinician that most of the students were afraid of. He was demanding, albeit always willing to teach, but was a tough taskmaster and didn't take well to any level of sloppiness or lack of rigor. His patient was a somewhat frail Japanese woman with a soft voice, but incredibly tough-minded, being very vocal, what she did and did not tolerate in the hospital. She was being evaluated for what appeared to be transient ischemic attacks, known commonly as mini-strokes. And at the time, insurers allowed patients to be admitted to get all the requisite tests required fairly efficiently, something that's no longer allowed. When she arrived on the floor, her doctor had already seen her and left a note on the chart on what he wanted scheduled from ultrasounds to echocardiograms to specific types of blood tests which I noted dutifully on my note cards, after which I went to see the patient. When I arrived, the patient was sitting on the chair next to her bed with her husband next to her. They were conversing in Japanese and stopped when I walked in. Mrs. M asked who I was and I told her that I was working with her doctor and that I was a fourth year student who would be covering her case with the resident who would be in later. She looked at me up and down and softly asked me if her doctor knew about my being there, which I noted he did. She began articulating the plan to evaluation almost verbatim in a soft tone, but clearly and concisely with the appropriate medical jargon. I was more than surprised and was speechless while I was writing down what she was saying. I started going through her history of her attacks, which she gave in precise detail, that she'd lose vision in one eye for several seconds, then it would gradually come back first with decreased acuity and then with gradual clearing of her visual field always monocular, always resolving over several hours, having occurred four times over the past two months. She then went into her past medical history, her social history, and a symptom review without me asking for it. When she finished, her husband smiled and said, I will leave you for the physical examination. See you tomorrow. And he left. The next day, I was paged down to the ultrasound suite emergently. I ran out of rounds and down the four flights of stairs to get to the suite. There, I saw Mrs. M sitting in a gurney, calmly moving her hand over one eye, then the other, and squinting. When she saw me, she gestured me for me to come over, before which I was intercepted by the technician. She's having a TIA here right now. You need to get her back to the floor. Now. I told the tech that I talked to the patient and then my resident, and that shouldn't take more than a few minutes. As I approached Mrs. M, she relayed to me that she'd lost monocular vision once again. Same thing as before, she nodded. Probably another TIA. I quickly examined her, but only found the isolated finding of decreased vision. I grabbed an intravenous setup from the storeroom across the hall and put in an IV while paging my resident. When she called back, she agreed with the plan to put Mrs. M on anticoagulation. I told the tech that I would bring Mrs. M back to the floor to avoid any delays in transport, got her into the elevator on the stretcher, and pushed the 10th floor button. The technician did finish the ultrasound, but he was flustered when I told him I was having a TIA, she noted, with a somewhat bemused tone. I'm glad you were able to come down right away. We got to the floor, 
and the resident had already ordered the heparin, which was waiting in her room. We hooked up the patient to the drip and scheduled her for blood draws later on. I'll be back to check on you in about an hour or so. If your vision gets worse, let the nurses know, I said. Of course, said Mrs. M. It's getting better already. I called Mrs. M's doctor to relay what was going on with her. His nurse put me right through to him. He peppered me with questions about her physical exam, how long she'd been having symptoms, what I thought was going on, and what we were doing about it. When he finished his integration, he acknowledged he approved of our management and asked if I would let the patient know that he'd be in later or in the morning. At about noon, I went in to check on Mrs. M. My doctor has already been here, she noted. I apologized that I had not told her he was coming by, but I did let him know what was going on. Yes, he said that. Sit down. Let's talk. Surprised, I sat down. He's very impressed with you. He also told me a lot about you, too. Tell me, what are you planning to go into? I was a bit tongue-tied, not being prepared to talk about my hopes and dreams for future profession, especially with a patient. Don't worry, she said in a motherly tone. I was a neuropathologist at Kyoto University before moving to the States, so I do understand what you must be going through now. So that's how she knew how to relate her story and history to me and why she could so easily assess her own symptoms. I wonder why her doctor didn't tell me that and relay that to the patient. I guess he didn't want you to feel intimidated, she noted. We spoke for some time, and I confess, she provided me some advice that really strengthened my desire to enter into neurology. I remember her reflecting back what I liked and what I didn't like about clinical areas, the kind of research I was interested in, and how I knew it all might change. It will, you know, Mrs. M said knowingly. But if you're like most, the core of your interests won't. You'll do just fine. I thanked her for the listening and the advice and started to leave the room. By the way, Mrs. M noted as I walked out the door, thank you for coming so quickly this morning. You probably prevented me from having a stroke. I demurred, relating the fact that she was the one who had made the initial diagnosis. But being attentive, that is what you did so well. I thank you once again. And as she put her hands together and nodded her head in a bow. We had Mrs. M in the hospital for about a week, and she left on a blood thinner, having no additional events. Her doctor related to me that she had done quite well at home and admitted to me that he purposefully didn't tell me that she was a doctor because she really didn't want anyone to know. He also told me that she and her husband were going back to Japan to take care of their parents who are in their late 80s, he said. I could only marvel at that. One day at my apartment, I opened up the mailbox and there was a box from Marshall Fields. Inside was a bright red tie and a note to my budding doctor, good luck in whatever you do. Kind regards, Dr. S.M., Kyoto, Japan. I wore that tie the next day and many days after that. Thank you very much for joining me for Patient Stories. Be happy, be healthy, and find peace.